Welcome to Talk About It, the official podcast for the Hosms PCN Primary Care Mental Health Team. I'm Abby, one of the mental health and wellbeing coaches and host of Talk About It, the official podcast for the team. So today we are joined by a very special guest, Kat Sims, also known as Not So Smug Now on social media, is joining me today. Kat is a digital creator, blogger, podcaster, mother of two and co-founder of creative marketing agency Hustle & Fox. Kat has also been a secondary school English teacher and a production manager. She uses her digital platforms to raise conversations around mental health, parenting, navigating life, and creates entertaining and conversation-starting reels. Today, Kat joins me to talk about her experiences of mental health, how to look after your mental health as a parent, and how to navigate your unique mental health journey. So, I really hope you enjoy. Hi Kat, thank you ever so much for joining me this afternoon. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I am always, uh, as I said earlier, very happy to bang on as much about mental health as I can. For anybody that doesn't know too much about you, can you just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and, and what you do? Yeah, of course. So I'm uh, Kat Sims and I run the uh, parenting blog, Not So Smug Now. Um and I started it back in 2014 after the birth of my first, when I really struggled hugely with mental health and postnatal depression and anxiety and all of that sort of thing. And it was sort of therapy for me, if I'm honest. And my husband was away working a lot of the time. So I started talking to the internet, which in general is not a great idea, but it sort of worked out for me, which is nice. Um, and now I just kind of dedicate myself to trying to make parents specifically feel less alone less overwhelmed and kind of try and do it through making them laugh and silly videos but also kind of writing things as well that that I hope helps if anybody hasn't seen any of Kat's reels yet go and have a look at them (laughs) because they are so relatable and so so funny to kind of jump straight into to the mental health side of, of what you do so how would you describe what what mental health means to you It's a really interesting question because I think for so long, mental health has been over-medicalized and it's become this sort of, this perception that there's, that it's an illness. And of course there is that element to it. But I also think that in our day-to-day life, there needs to be in the same way that we take stock of our physical health and try and get 20 minutes exercise in every day. We need to be considering our mental health in the same way. Um, And for me, that is where it starts. I can't be physically fit. I can't find the energy to go out and do a run or a walk or get on the bike if for some reason my mental health isn't right. So, it, you know, there's such a stigma around it. There's such a stigma around people talking about it, admitting to struggling with it, asking for help about it. And that's kind of my key issue is let's try and get rid of that stigma because it, it's just... You know, it's nothing more than saying you've got a cold. It's nothing more than saying you need to take a pill for a kidney problem you've got. You know, it's just something, but there seems to be the stigma attached to it when it's your brain or your head that people feel really ashamed of. And I think that's what we need to get past. Most definitely. And I think having platforms to talk about it even further and creating those conversations around it is a huge part of that normalizing talking about it and demedicalizing it. Yeah, 100%. And I think part of what I do online is is really talking about mental health in a very normal way. I'm not I'm not here to signpost it or go this might be quite difficult to read. This is my reality and it's nothing I'm ashamed of and I want everybody to know that 
I'm not going to warm you up to it because I don't think you need to be. Sometimes it's okay for me to say, I I really, really struggled. And I had postnatal depression. There were times when I didn't want to leave the house. I couldn't leave the house. Um, and, you know, and, and I think the more you talk about it without putting it in the parameters of this big secret, the better. Yeah, definitely. And, and you started to touch on it a little bit there, but can you tell us a little bit about your mental health journey? Yeah, well... It- Funnily enough, I think now looking back, I probably struggled with depression, anxiety as a teenager, but it was never something that even occurred to me at the time. And it was when I was about 26 and it was Christmas, I didn't know what was wrong with me, but I knew that I wasn't all right. And bearing in mind, like I grew up in North Yorkshire and so I I love my home county, but there is, especially in my parents' generation, very much this attitude that you sort of pull yourself together or, you know, you just get on with things. Um, And so they were quite distraught about my kind of behavior, my behavior and the way I was. And to give them credit, they did open themselves up to it a little bit. Mum took me to the doctor where they asked me those awful like 10 questions that they ask you to assess how depressed you are. And this was a real shock to my system, to my mum's system. I don't think she'd ever really considered that even the doctor would take it seriously. I think she thought that the doctor might just kind of go, no, I think you're you're okay. But the doctor took it very seriously and put me on Prozac. And that was the first time I'd been medicalized, never talked about any kind of therapy or any kind any other kind of supporting therapies at all. It was just here's the Prozac and go. And actually Prozac didn't really work for me. And I I became very anxious and I really, really struggled through that time in my life. And as I came out of it, I started to realize that this was something that I was probably gonna have to deal with for the rest of my life, that this was something that I was going to have ups and downs on. And actually, I sort of managed to deal with it and really made an effort to sort of read the signs of when depression was kind of coming, if you like. And and I could tell what those signs were. It was like inability to really concentrate. It was things like not being able to even make a list, feeling very overwhelmed, um, not sleeping properly, overindulging in the things I shouldn't be, like drinking and staying up really late. Um all of those things became signposts for me. So I I started to manage it and I was still being medicated here and there. And then for about two years, I was fine. I was like, fine, I've beaten this. This is great. Uh, And then I had a baby. And I don't know how many of the people listening to this have ever had a baby. But if there is one thing in the world that's ever guaranteed to completely turn your life, your mind, your soul upside down, it's it's becoming a parent for the first time. And my husband was a musician, so he then went on tour for, uh, he was home for a month and then he went on tour for about seven months. Um, and I slowly sank into what is hands down the worst depression of my life, but I didn't know about it and I didn't see it because I was so embroiled in this myth that well, you're a new mum and you're supposed to be tired and exhausted and you're supposed to find it hard and miserable and all the rest of it, that it didn't unbelievably occur to me that this was my brain again, that this was my depression playing up again. And also there was that tie-in with, well, motherhood's the most natural thing in the world and you're supposed to love every minute of it. And so admitting to finding it hard, admitting to frankly hating every minute of it at that point was not an option. There was no room for me to have that conversation or to reach out to anybody. And I remember speaking to a health visitor and sobbing like hysterical down the phone because I'd had to give her a bottle because breastfeeding had been so difficult. It's about nine weeks in. And that phone call should have been enough, honestly, to trigger any kind of help and it didn't and I said I just need you to tell me I'm not a terrible mum for giving her formula and she said to me and I'll never forget it 
ever in my life. And she said, well, you can always try to undo the damage you've done when it comes to weaning. And that was probably the darkest moment of my entire life. Like, honestly, at that point, I just crumbled. And I was like, like I've made, she made me feel like I'd made an an, an irrevocable error that I'd messed, I'd screwed up my daughter in a way that I could never, ever really fix. And that moment was just like horrendous. And from that moment on, I just kind of sank deeper and deeper into this belief that I couldn't do it, that I wasn't set up for it. And then of course, all you do is you see loads of other mothers who seem to be doing it brilliantly. Of course they're not, they're at home like crying into their tea as well because it's hard, but that's not what anybody's telling you. And and that was kind of a real, that first year of my of my eldest's life was i mean it's awful to say it but it was the worst of my life and and it was the worst of my life in terms of my relationship and everything and if only at that point i had felt that there was a space or that there was somebody else talking about how hard all of this was then i know that i would have felt better i felt completely isolated and alone and there were some incredibly dark, dark moments in that first year. And funnily enough, it it was all very much triggered again when the first lockdown happened uh, back in March last year. It's great to kind of hear that whole that whole journey. And you, you talk there about those emotions coming back in lockdown. How did you deal with that? How did you create that awareness of those feelings coming back? And did is that what started to create the sort of ways of managing your mental health going forward yeah well yes and and I sort of touched briefly on how my mental health in that first year in fact both of my experience of that first year and my husband's experience of that first year affected our relationship I mean it basically slowly destroyed it um and it wasn't until about four or five years later when in sort of dire straits we went to couples therapy and sort of unpacked where all of this resentment and anger had come from and it came from that first year on both of our sides mm. um and so through therapy we learned to communicate in a way that we never had before you know i think a, a lot of the time in couples we all tend to rely on telepathy which by the way is generally considered not a very um efficient way to communicate yeah um, and and th- and we sort of assume that they should be able to read our mind because that's how much they love us. Because they love us that much, they should just know. And it's the most damaging kind of lie to, to feed into relationships because it stops you talking, it starts you feeling really resentful, and it and it starts this fantasy that you he doesn't or she doesn't love you. So we got rid of we got through all of that in therapy. And so when lockdown happened, I the first thing I did was sit down and say I'm not all right like this has triggered all of these feelings and he got it and he was like I 100% get it and we just had to take it really really gently and so for the first couple of weeks he would tie me out (laughs) like a kid like if he thought I was losing it or if I was getting really tense or stressed he'd be like babe go take go take a time out like have an hour go have a nap or something and he would just send me uh to my bedroom (laughs) in the nicest, kindest, most gentlest, loving way. Um, And, you know, it it slowly became more, I mean, it became so normal for all of us to a certain extent. Um, But it was, yeah, I mean, it was just being able to be aware of those feelings and what was triggering them. And and from that, what have you 
learn about yourself or what have you identified as the main things that you need to do or tools or techniques that you have to to maintain your mental health uh so i again coming back to this kind of parenting thing i am very vocal about this about kind of counteracting this idea that the kids come first and you know the kid my in my view the kids will always be fine and if you're worrying about that then you're a good enough parent already you know you're fine you're doing fine this idea that parents have to be entertaining their kids 100% of the day present and focused on their children every waking hour doing everything they can to shuttle them around whatever it is is so damaging because it's absolutely ludicrous that that's the expectation because we all have things to we've all got work to do we've all got exercise that needs doing we've all got books that need reading we've all got our things and it's deeply deeply unfair that this largely lies on the on the shoulders of mothers as well that our responsibility is to have it all, to, to earn all the money, to break the ceilings, to look after the children, to entertain them, to, to bring up gorgeously well-rounded, empathetic humans. Of course, that's all of our goals, but that doesn't require you to give up yourself entirely in the process. And so I'm very, very vocal about making sure myself and Jimmy get the time that we need. So we'll sit down at the beginning of the week and we'll work out when the kids are in after school club, that. And it's really, really important that we bust this idea that parents have to be 100% entertainer, educator to their kids all the time. It's just impossible and it's an impossible standard to set. Most definitely. And you're right in that idea of you, you need to create time for yourself. You need to create time to to look after yourself and to to process even things that are going on in your life. If you're yeah. if you're so busy that you never stop, you need to create that space to, to process things. Otherwise, they're just going to keep bottling and bottling. And yeah. And also, we're really terrible at asking for what we need. Like it's it, it's a real endemic. We're really, really bad at it. And, you know, I've got messages from parents and mothers that say, how did you find time for a nap? And I'll say, well, because I, I said to Jimmy, do you mind if I go for a nap? I'm really tired. And he went and he was like, no, it's fine, but I'm going for one after you. I'm like, all right, fine. But they're like, how do you find time to go walking? I'm like, because I say, this is what I need to do. Mm. And we make it work. And Jimmy does the same and the kids will do the same. And it's really you know, it's really important to me that if, if anybody listening is feeling overwhelmed and stressed, actually, if you can recognize that early enough and start to learn to ask for what you need, it doesn't need to escalate into anything more serious because you can sort of start to manage those feelings and go, I recognize now I'm feeling tense, I'm feeling overwhelmed, I'm feeling burnt out. I need to start asking for some space, for some time for some support. Mm. You know, I've been known to book myself into a hotel for a night because I'm like, I'm out, I'm done. Like, I, I swear to God, if I don't go out of this house soon, I'm going to lose my mind. And it's not because I don't love my kids, but our situation is often that Jimmy's away for three, four weeks at a time. So it's very intense um, switching between the two. And I know loads of people are single parents and, and, and do that on their own all the time. And that is, they are absolute superheroes. But for us, our situation is that I'm not a single parent. So switching from being a single parent to not 
to being one to not those transitions I find really really difficult but honestly I think a lot of people could do that but don't because they don't feel like they can ask or that it's an option and it's always an option to try and ask for what you need and make space for those needs. Most definitely and and talking about the children within that as well how do you communicate this with the children um just remind me how you've got two daughters how how old are they yes so i've got two girls billy and Bo. they billy is my eldest she is going to be eight next uh no in november and Bo just turned five um how do you talk to them about you know voicing those needs and and having that conversation with them I say daddy's been away for a long time and mum has been home looking after you and working and I'm feeling quite stressed about it's quite a lot of responsibility and uh, and I'm quite, I'm feeling a bit tired. So I'm going to take a day off and daddy's going to be here and he's going to do some really fun stuff with you, but I'm just going to go and get some sleep. And they're like, yeah, mum, fine, go knock yourself out. You know, they're very used to those conversations. We've normalised it. You know, they know that mummy takes a pill every day because something in her brain doesn't fully work you know this just needs to top it like vitamins I just need to top up some levels of certain things to make me um you know to make my brain work properly and they don't even care they're like I'm so bored of you talking about like taking a break in your brain but then you know Billy my eldest is quite anxious she and and so I talk quite openly about what anxiety is with her and how it can and we talk about where she feels it and sometimes she feels it in her tummy or in her chest and you know, we, we sort of do that and they've got journals. Uh, there's a great company called the Positive Planner Company that make uh, these doodle journals for kids that are absolutely brilliant. Um, and so she we journal together a lot because I'm an obsessive journaler. Um, and, and we just talk about it very openly and very normally. And they... I don't think they even would understand the idea of mental health, but they do understand that we look after our brains as well as we look after our body. And it is the the way you kind of even described that it is just part of the conversation. Like you said earlier, like yeah. you talk about anything else in life it is normalizing it and doing it from such a young age is going to have huge benefit for them growing up because it, they're not going to have to learn that it's okay to talk about it, that they're already doing it. Yeah. And, and also they, I make sure that I try and walk almost every day because walking is one of the key kind of things that I use to really clear my head. And I sort of have a hashtag on Instagram. That's like, I walk for my head and my bum comes along for the ride. It's actually a naughtier word than that, but I didn't use it here. Um, and that's essentially what I teach. And they're like, you go walking all the time. And I'm like, listen, if I don't go walking, mummy goes a bit crazy. So we need to just keep me walking because I do it to keep my head happy. And they get it just like we say to the kids you've got to keep healthy and you know you can't eat too much sugar and rubbish and mcdonald's not that that stops them trying every day to ask for mcdonald's um you know we say you've also got to take time out and you've got to give yourself space and take a rest and all of that stuff and it's that maintenance isn't it and recognizing even something simple so like your walk which i do as well every day i every morning take the dog out nice and early. I need, I need that blast of fresh air there. Otherwise my brain doesn't function in the same way. It's those simple things that can long-term really make that impact and having that awareness, even like you said, having your daughter to go, uh, hang on, you haven't, you haven't been for a walk and seeing that impact and what it has on you is, it is those simple things that you just have to keep maintaining. A lot of people who 
struggle with mental health or certainly me at first I thought that this was an episodic thing that I would deal with when it came about and actually what I've realized is just like maintaining you know your abs or your not that I've got any of those but like you know you have to do your crunches every day you have to do your ab work every day it's the same with my with my head to maintain that health I have to bear that in mind every single day the problem is when people assume that mental health is nothing to do with them mm. and actually it's it's part of all of us it's all of our story is keeping our head straight most definitely and what is one of the most important things you've learned about about your mental health over the years or what are so you've mentioned a few of them there like the journaling and walking every day what are your key things that you have to do in order to maintain your mental health well, uh, first of all, I mean, I, I take the meds. I take mm-hmm. sertraline every day. And again, that's a, that's a conversation I wish was more open, that this idea that um, even if people can get comfortable talking about how they struggle with mental health, very few people are comfortable talking about being on medication or accepting medication for it. So I do that. And I talk to my husband a lot. And I think that has been really key as well. And, I, and I'm forever grateful that I have a husband who is very aware of mental health, very knowledgeable of it. I mean, he's had his own struggles in certain ways as well. Um, And we are able to keep that very open and honest conversation going. But also it's a constant checklist. It's just a a daily checklist of like, how do I feel? Have I had an early night? Sleep for me is huge. If I don't get enough sleep, I know I'm going to start declining in some way because if I don't get enough sleep, I'm not going to exercise. And if I'm not exercising, I'm going to start feeling like I'm trapped in a house and then I'm going to go downhill. And of course, therapy, um, you know, that's, that's been absolutely key in helping me unpack a lot of the stuff that I guess I didn't realize I was anxious about or had affected my mental health, especially stuff as a kid that I thought was really normal actually could have really contributed to, um, and it's nothing sinister necessarily. It's just things like pressure that was put on you as a kid that, you know, perhaps other kids would water off a duck's back. But for me, it stayed with me. And it's things like that that have really helped me understand why my brain works a certain way. And on those days where you might feel, oh, I really I don't want to go for a walk today or I don't want to exercise or I, I don't want to write in my planner. What do you do on those days or what have you got in place to, to help you or to be kind to yourself? What, how does that work for you? This, I guess this is sort of part of the place where I haven't got it all figured out in that I do still struggle with those days because I, I do tend to fall into this kind of, when I'm feeling down, I'll feel guilty that I can't just behave like everybody else, that I can't just perform or be as efficient or just get stuff done. So there are those times when I really struggle, but I do try to, you know, talk, I sort of talk about glass balls and plastic balls that you juggle all the time. And I'm like, there are certain balls that are glass that you just can't drop, you know, like picking your kids up from school, for example, like feeding them, keeping them clean. Those are balls that you absolutely cannot drop, but then there are loads and loads and loads of plastic balls that you can drop all the time. So I've tried to get much better when I feel on those days rescheduling things saying do you know what I've, I'm not going to do it today being gentle on myself and I'll be very close I'm not feeling great today I'm not going to do it can we reschedule you know and learning to say no and learning to say I'm not going to go out I'm not going to do this I can't do this I'm going to sit down 
And maybe what I need to do today is just watch The Real Housewives back to back and eat chocolate biscuits and have a cup of tea and hope that I know what I'm doing and that I'm listening to my body. But it has that is still very difficult for me. I still get very frustrated on those days where I feel like I just can't operate. I completely relate to that. And I think we all have that in certain degrees. And I'm not even sure if that'll ever go away. I think that's another thing to learn to 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 manage in another degree for it, if that makes any sense. And or just yeah. learning to be kind to ourselves even more. It's just like you said, it's that being kind to yourself and, and giving yourself and what you need. Well. The guilt. Yeah. Yeah. And shedding the guilt because I find that that's just, it's such a toxic emotion and mm. it's very rarely justified. Honestly, you know, I think about all how many hours we waste feeling mum guilt or parent guilt, dad guilt, and actually the kids, it's never crossed their mind that you aren't anything other than the infallible people that will always be there to, you know, look after them and kiss their boo-boos and send them off to a clean, warm bed. You know, they are never, they never question us in the same way that we question ourselves. And so I think that the guilt is something that I've really, I'm really working on being able to to let go of and mm. ignore because I feel like it's these unhealthy feelings and and things that we say to ourselves are like a muscle and I feel like the more you use them and say them the stronger they get and the more reactive they become so as soon as something happens immediately those voices are there and I've really tried to kind of atrophy those voices a little bit and, and break that muscle down and start using other muscles which is why journaling really works for me because I'm focusing on the positive stuff and I'm using that side of my kind of conversate mental conversation if you like and I'm building that that muscle and hoping that the other voices that tell you that you're a useless human or that you know everybody else can do it why can't you those ones slowly wither and die <laughs> yeah and that, that is a, a tool that we use a lot in sessions is that how are you going to create exercises or ways of focusing on that positivity because you're you're right it's that positive psychology and the the science behind it is that it it works and by focusing on those positives, you are training your brain to think in a more positive manner throughout your whole life, not even just on that specific subject. So, and that's amazing that you found a way to do that for yourself through, through journaling. And that's what we encourage patients to do is to find their way because not everything works for everyone. And it's, it's finding the thing that works for you, which I think is really important. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of why I do what I do on Instagram as well. I think in the same way, that's about you know, repeating those messages. And yeah. as much as I hope that it helps some people, there's also a really selfish element to it as well. There's a lot about me kind of doing it for myself as well. I'm telling myself the same things. Mm. Um, and that's been, I think, a huge part of my journey to managing it because it's allowed me this kind of portal into how everybody else is feeling because I get all these messages all the time saying I feel like this and I feel like this and I'm like I feel like that too and so I have this real benefit of being able to see every day that I'm not the only one um, and I think that's why I want to get those kind of things back out there and say look I get all this stuff that makes me feel not alone and I want you to have that stuff too um, so yeah in some way weirdly the Instagram thing and the social media thing has, I guess, been part of my management process too. 
Yeah, most definitely. And and to kind of round up the the conversation in the episode, I've got a few sort of quick fire round questions to go through, if that's okay, just to put you on the spot. (laughs) I'm here for it. I'm ready. Perfect. Uh, What is the best thing that's happened to you this month? Oh, I can't talk about the best thing that's happened to me this month because of, because it's a big secret. Uh, but the second best thing is I've just been nominated for a Heat Magazine Funny Woman Award. So, Amazing. Yeah, so that's today. You've got till next Wednesday, next September to vote. Go to funnywoman.com and vote for me. Thanks very much. Nice little plug. Love it. Um, and when? what is the most challenging thing that's happened to you this month? Uh, my husband coming back, well, going on tour and coming back from tour he comes back from tour and he's very much like everybody's been doing my laundry and telling me where I need to be and cooking all my food and he comes back and it's sometimes a bit of a struggle so but it's fine we've worked it out we've been doing it for a long time but we obviously haven't done it for the last two years because he's not been touring so we are slowly getting back into um, a more positive place (laughs) very well said Uh, (laughs) when are you most inspired first thing in the morning early morning when I'm out walking a hundred percent that's where I do all of my thinking perfect and we've kind of touched on it a little bit but what is your own form of self-care I guess the most important thing is asking for what I need and taking the space I need brilliant what is something you cannot do but you would like to be able to sing and play an instrument it's really hard in my family because everybody's really good like even Bo has an annoyingly good singing voice and uh I do not have a musical bone in my body Uh, what is your ideal day off by the water being by myself or with my husband I'm gonna be honest my ideal day off is not having my kids around I love them but it's not a day off if they're around um water great food the ocean a dog and lovely wine. Sign me up. I'm there for that. (laughs) Uh, What activity do you like to do to switch off? So it's walking, but also paddle boarding. I'm a big paddle boarder and it was my ridiculous lockdown purchase. I bought myself a paddle board from Costco and Jimmy's like, listen, you've come home with random things before, but this really takes the biscuit. I was like, I'm going to paddleboard. He's like, we live in central London. Anyway, I go to the canal and I paddleboard on the Grand Union Canal and I put uh, my headphones in and I have a great time. Amazing. We've got paddleboards as well and it's just a different form of chill. Just just being on the water, calm, moving, but... It's brilliant. And... uh, what is one thing someone has taught you that has changed your life? It's the same lesson, but my mum and my husband taught it to me in different ways. So my mum would always say she's very Yorkshire and she's got these amazing Yorkshire sayings that nobody really understands. Like if she sees somebody really skinny, she'll go, oh, she's not as far through as a kipper. And we're like, we've got absolutely no idea what that means. But <laughs> she, she used to say over and over again, don't meet trouble halfway. And I was like, you know, what do you mean? She's like, you're catastrophizing all the time. You're like, you've like moved in with trouble before you even know that's going to happen. And my husband would say in a kind of different way, he'd be like, you've got to let go of the things you can't control. So you don't know what's going to happen. So I often would send myself spiraling into, this is going to be the worst thing. This is going to happen. This is going to, and then this is going to happen. And then everything's ruined. And Jimmy and my mom would be like, hang on a minute. This first thing hasn't even happened yet. Like, let's Mm. just 
not meet trouble halfway. So um, that would be my kind of big lesson. And final thing is if there was one thing you'd like listeners to take home from listening to this podcast, what, what would it be for this episode? Ask for what you need without guilt or shame. Amazing. Thank you so, so much for, for talking with me today, Kat, and sharing your stories and your experiences around mental health and, and those conversations that you're, you're always having on your own platforms around them. We really appreciate it. And if people want to find you and look you up or follow you, where, where can they do that? Uh, they can go to Instagram and TikTok, uh, not so smug now, or my blog, not so smug now.com. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, honestly a joy to be able to talk about this as much as possible. So I appreciate the chance. Once again, thank you so much to Kat for taking the time to speak with me on the podcast today. And as always, please follow us on Instagram at Hosms underscore mental health team. Follow us on Facebook at Hosms mental health team as well to keep up to date with what we are doing, who's coming on the podcast, mental health tips and see what courses, groups and offerings are out there in the community. Once again, a massive thank you to our producer, Katie, for all her amazing work on the podcast. And finally, if you want to be notified as soon as new episodes are released, please make sure you follow us on Spotify. Thanks for listening.